Thank you for listening to Enabled this week. During this pandemic and during this winter season, do you find yourself cooking more or less? Are you just opening a box or a can? Or do you find yourself peeling and chopping and simmering and serving? Actually, either way, you should be aware of how to keep safe in your kitchen. I have compiled a lot of tips for you about just that, how to keep safe in the kitchen. The information comes from a website, www.visionaware.com, and their headline reads, Safe Cooking Techniques for Cooks Who Are Blind or Have Low Vision. In the article first, there is a list of safe cooking tips. Wear short sleeves or roll your sleeves up above the elbow when you're working around the stove. Wear oven mitts to handle pots and pans. Set a timer to remind you when to turn off the stove and other electrical appliances. Make sure all your appliances are in good working order and avoid overloading circuits. Next, use a vegetable peeler instead of a knife for peeling fruits and vegetables. Use a pizza cutter rather than a knife for cutting, or you can use a pivot knife that's connected to a cutting board. And I questioned that. I wondered what it was, and there's a picture here explaining it. It says, to make chopping easier and safer, use a flexible arm task lamp, which is located right next to the cutting board, for extra light, and use a cutting board with an attached pivot knife for safety, and a white cutting board that contrasts with this red apple. And that's what the picture shows, a red apple on a white cutting board. The pivot knife is attached at the corner of the cutting board, and it swivels uh, to the left and to the right, and of course it also swivels up and down. The list continues, though, and says, don't store spices on a shelf above the stove. Next one, always turn off the gas flame before you remove a pan from the burner. And then another one, don't wear clothing with long, loose sleeves when you're cooking. The next section is called cutting and chopping. Here's some tips for you. Use trays or cutting boards in colors that contrast with your food. For example, keep a white cutting board for slicing apples or carrots and a dark colored cutting board for things like onions. Now here there's a picture and it shows an ingenious invention, I think. It's a two-sided cutting board. It's white on one side and black on the other. And it says use the white side of the cutting board for darker colored foods like eggplant or broccoli and use the black side for lighter colored foods such as onions or cheese. The list continues, make sure the cutting edge of your knife blade is facing downward before you cut or slice. And here's a good tip, you can identify which edge is the cutting edge of the knife without actually touching it. The cutting edge is usually curved, so you can try rocking the knife blade forward and backward on the table to determine when the cutting edge, which will rock back and forth when that cutting edge is facing downward. And the next tip, I think it's a great one. Use a pizza cutter instead of a knife for slicing sandwiches. The next set of tips is all about measuring. There's a picture here showing an array of measuring cups and spoons that are available, all with large print or tactile or contrasting markings. There's some tips that say use a measuring cup with raised numbers on the side 
or you can actually mark your cup with a 3D pen, such as the name brand Highmark Tactile Pen, or a, what they call a spot and line pen. These are 3D plastic liquids that make raised lines, dots, and shapes. You use them to identify clothing, canned goods, frozen goods, uh, mark settings on appliances. And I frequently call them puffy paints, which is a sort of a generic term that I sort of made up. Another tip here, use individually sized or stacking measuring cups to scoop out your desired amounts. Another tip, measure spices into your hand first to avoid pouring into a spoon. So actually what they're saying, I think, is dump a pile of it into your hand and then use your measuring spoon to, to scoop it out of your hand. You can probably put the rest of it back into the container. And you can also use measuring spoons that have large numbers. The next set of tips is about pouring, and it's divided into a section on cold liquids, some uh, advice about electronic devices, and then a section on hot liquids. So the first section on cold liquids. Again, use color contrast. Dark pitchers and dark servers for milk and other light colored liquids. You could use a white pitcher for dark liquids such as iced tea. When pouring into a glass, they suggest that you locate the pitcher by trailing your hand along the table. You find the pitcher. And then you locate the spout on the pitcher by moving your hand up the pitcher and then find the spout and then you turn the pitcher until the spout faces the glass that you're aiming for. With your other hand, move the glass toward the pitcher, keeping your index finger on the spout of the pitcher. Lift the pitcher slightly and touch the spout to the rim of the glass. Now hook your other index finger over the rim of the glass so that just your fingertip is inside the glass. Pour until you can feel the water or other liquid reaching your index finger. Also, you can listen for sound changes as the liquid reaches the top of the glass. You can also try pouring with a pitcher in the sink and the glass or cup on the adjoining countertop. This can make it easier to lift the pitcher or the kettle and can help with spills or cleanup. Try practicing with empty containers first. And then also you could pour over a tray to catch any spills. Next, the section on electronic devices for pouring. You may prefer to use an electronic liquid level indicator. There's one that's called the Say When device. This is a battery operated device and it's placed at the top of a cup or a glass and it beeps when the liquid reaches the top. There's a picture here showing a rather novel use for this gadget. It's called the Say When gadget. It shows a woman's hand holding a cup reaching into the liquid dispenser on the front of her refrigerator. She's holding the cup under the dispenser, but the Say When device is hanging on the side of the cup. So even in that situation, the device will tell her when the, uh, the liquid is coming to the top. And by the way, there are other brands for these liquid sensors. You could shop around for that. Next, we come to the hot liquid category, pouring hot liquids. The Sunbeam, here's a name brand, the Sunbeam Hot Shot beverage maker. This heats 12 ounces of water in about 90 seconds at the touch of a button. It makes piping hot water for coffee, cereals, soup, cocoa, or tea. That's the Hot Shot Beverage Maker by Sunbeam, 12 ounces of water in 90 seconds. 
And then there's another alternative. You could microwave one cup of water. It takes about two or two and a half minutes. You should, they suggest, pre-measure the desired quantity of water and you could pour it through your automatic coffee maker with the filter basket in place. Another idea, you could fill a kettle with the desired amount of water. You would measure first, like one cup, and then put it into your kettle before you heat it and then pour it. You could also use one of those electronic liquid level indicators that we just talked about. The next section is all about peeling. Use a vegetable peeler rather than a knife. Hold the fruit or vegetable in one hand, the peeler in the other hand. Grasp the handle with your thumb on one side and your fingers on the other. Don't touch the moving rod inside the peeler. Hold the item at a 45 degree angle and working on one half of the fruit or vegetable, start to peel on the surface away from your body. Once the peelings have been removed, check the section with your index finger to see if it is smooth. Peel until the half you're working on is finished and then you flip the food item so that the unpeeled portion is now facing upward and continue your peeling. To determine whether you have any peel left, run cold water over the fruit or vegetable and feel the surface with your fingertips. The next bunch of tips is all about placing pans on a burner. Always position the pan correctly on the burner before you turn the stove on. Always turn off the burner before you remove the pan. Make sure the handles on the pots and pans and knobs on the lids are heat resistant. Make sure the handles are turned inward when cooking so you will not accidentally bump or knock your pots and pans off to the floor. Also be sure that the handle of the pan is not protruding over another burner. There is a special section that I've inserted here. It's all about using a flat top stove after vision loss. One of the most widely used items found in modern kitchens today is a flat top stove. Flat top stoves do not have to be a nightmare for people living with blindness. While they do present some unique challenges, they can be more beneficial than using a coil top stove because they're easy to clean and level surfaces provide more stability for the pots. When using a flat top stove, use pots and pans that have flat bottoms to increase level placement and even cooking. Pots that have, are weighted to increase stability are recommended. Not all flat top stoves are set up in the same way. And a point here for all of these tips, a certified vision rehabilitation therapist can teach you safe techniques for determining burner placement and if the stove is on. And remember to always observe the general rules of safe cooking, such as turning off the heat before moving a pot or skillet and clearing the stovetop before use. Always think safety first. Now we come to some specific flat top stove hints about centering a pan. Try to remain aware of your body position whenever you work at the stove, the flat top stove especially. Keep your body aligned with the front edge of the stove top. Before you start, check if any burners are on by using what's called the safety zone technique to scan the stove top. And the safety zone technique is as follows. You bend your arm so that your forearm is across your chest.
touch your opposite shoulder with your fingertips. Now you take that same arm and extend it out in front of your body, still at shoulder height. Lower your arm slowly, passing it over the stovetop area, feeling for any heat. Don't lower your arm past your midriff. If you can't feel any heat, then the stovetop is safe to work on. Here are some techniques to help you center a pot on your flat glass or ceramic cooktop. In many cases, using the safety zone technique that I just mentioned to scan the stovetop and feel the heat can give you an accurate idea of the location of the burner. You can measure the distance from the front and the side edges of the stovetop to the burner with a wooden spoon or a chopstick or some other long-handled utensil. And then mark the distance on the handle with a piece of tape, or you could file a notch in the wooden tool, or you can use a marking material such as those high mark tactile pens, or something called maxi marks, or what they call a spot and line pen, those puffy paint things. You mark the distance to the burner from the edge of the stove. Place the pot on the stove pot and use the measurements on this utensil to check that the front and side edges of the pot are centered on the burner. And now after this, we'll go back to the main article and have some tips about baking. The first one is to make sure the oven racks are positioned correctly before you turn on the oven. Next, always turn off the heat before removing items from the oven. Next, when removing items, pull the oven rack partially out rather than you reaching into the oven. And remember to push the rack back in and close the oven door as soon as possible after placing the item on a counter or other surface. Next, pretty obvious, use long, heat-proof oven mitts to remove items from the oven. And next, know where you are going to place the hot item before you remove it from the oven. So you checked your adjoining surfaces to find out where it's going to go. And next, oven doors that open downward are safer than ones that open to the side. And finally, in this section, always use an audible timer for when you are baking. Next, we come to this section about turning foods. This says it's generally easier to use a double spatula as a turning device. Now, I was fascinated by this. I figured two spatulas held together. How's that going to be helpful? But no, they actually make them. There are two spatulas that are joined at the top, and they have a, like a springy hinge at the top, so you can pinch them together, turn the object, and then turn them back over, and then unspring them. They cost anywhere from 12 to $15 at a store like Walmart or Amazon. They're found elsewhere, too. This is a double spatula. I think I might get myself one. And the directions for using this double spatula, first of all, you slide the item to the side of the pan, and then you slide the bottom spatula underneath it. With the spatula, cl clamp it down, clap the top one down on it, and with the double spatula, you move the item to the center of the pan before you flip it over and then make sure you have one hand on the handle of the pan to prevent tipping. The next section is called Testing Foods for Doneness. If you were a seasoned cook before you experienced your vision loss, you most likely relied on many different techniques to determine when something was done. You certainly didn't depend on your sight alone. 
So while food timers and talking thermometers and other devices will help you compensate for vision loss in your kitchen, you can also learn to lean more heavily on skills and senses that you've probably been using for years. Here's a tip. Use touch carefully to determine when a cake has finished baking or use the toothpick test where you insert a toothpick into the cake and if you feel batter sticking to the toothpick the cake is not done yet. Next here's one I hadn't heard of. Listen to your french fries. When they stop sputtering in their oil you know they're done. Next one, many foods smell a certain way when they're cooked. Learn to recognize the signals that your other senses are sending to you. The next section is about spreading things, how to spread things. Practice with toast. It won't tear as easily as regular bread. With thick spreads like peanut butter or margarine, Set up an organized pattern to spread, either outward from a certain point, you can go left to right, always, you could go top to bottom, or you could put your peanut butter in the middle and spread it from the center to the outside to all the edges. Set up an organized pattern to spread. Or you can touch the food to make sure that the spreading is complete. Some people find it easier to spread with the back of a spoon instead of a knife. And if you can't see how much butter is on the butter dish, glide your knife blade very gently across the top of the butter to get an idea of where to cut into it. The next few tips are for serving. Ask what dish you are receiving if you're sitting at a table. Ask what dish it is that you are receiving and when you pass it on, you can tell the next person what dish it is. This will serve as a reminder to other people at the table to identify the dishes as they're passing them. When serving yourself, run your fingertips around the top rim of the bowl to locate the serving spoon. If possible, place the serving dish on the table next to your plate. If not, hold the serving dish just above your plate and a bit to the side. This will make the transfer of food easier. When you're done serving yourself, it's okay to ask, where can I set this dish down? The next section is about adapting cookbooks and recipes. Cookbooks, you probably know this, cookbooks are available in braille, large print, and even recorded versions. If you have a computer and printer, your own recipes can be typed and printed in as large a font as you need or they can actually be handwritten in large print with a bold line marker. They're suggesting a flexible arm task lamp and a reading stand can help you position your reading materials like a recipe card and have the proper lighting for it. Flexible arm task lamp. And then they're also suggesting that sometimes a transparent yellow acetate overlay can make print easier to read. Low vision devices such as magnifiers, task lighting and reading stands, and electronic and digital magnifiers can also help you read your cookbooks and your recipes. Now we come to some useful tools and small appliances. There are many simple, inexpensive tools you may find helpful in the kitchen. Here's just a beginning. Of course, we mentioned earlier, you've got to have a pair of long oven mitts. And you should also have a kitchen timer with raised markings 
or very large print that you can see. Think about getting a liquid level indicator. Also look for a safety food turner. This is the fancy name for that double spatula that I'm fascinated with. A safety food turner. Also think about buying a spatter shield if you're frying something. Put it over your foods and keep the spatters down. Look for a cutting board with food chute for pouring. My cutting board has sort of a handle hole in the end and I'll frequently hold that hole over the dish where I want to scrape my cut objects into. That works too. Also suggesting cutting boards in light and dark colors to contrast with food. And don't forget about that one that's white on one side and black on the other. Look, look for that. Next, they're suggesting individual measuring cups and spoons. If you need a half a cup measure, have the half a cup measure be separate so you don't have to read the side of the measuring cup to find out where the half is. You can also inc in, include a large print or broad-handled measuring cup. Look for an adjustable knife with a slicing guide for adjusting the size of your slices. Also, definitely look for the 3D pen, or what they call high marks, for marking your appliances or that generic puffy paint. You can look for a card or barcode reader for creating labels that can be read back to you. You can also invest in a boil control disc to keep foods from boiling over. This works especially well for rice or pasta, a boil control disc. They're quite inexpensive. I think if I remember right, they're like three, four, or five dollars. A boil control disc that you put into your pot. And then also think about a tomato or vegetable slicer. Now next we have a another whole section that I found from the Vision Aware website. There are some duplicates included in here. I hope you'll excuse me for that. This one's called this whole section is called Hints for Easier Eating and Pouring. First of all, they say use the clock reference system. You probably have heard of this one. One way to tell what food is on your plate or where the food is on your plate is to use the clock reference system. Think of your plate as a clock face with 12 o'clock at the top. This is the edge that's farthest away from you and 6 o'clock at the bottom, the edge that's closest to you. This reference system can help you to form a mental picture of where each food item is located on your plate. Next, we have some additional eating skills and tips. Use a tray or placemat to help maintain your orientation to your place setting. Place a napkin in your lap to protect your clothing, of course. Next, use a locating technique to explore your place setting safely, effectively, and discreetly. When returning a cup to a saucer, locate the saucer with one hand and place the cup with your other hand. Next, use your fork and the tip of your knife to check the location and arrangement of the food on your plate periodically. Push food items back toward the center of your plate if they've gravitated outward toward the edges. Use solid foods such as mashed potatoes as a buffer or a barrier to help push food onto your fork. You can also use a knife or a piece of bread as a buffer. The tip of your knife can also give you an indication of the size of the piece of meat or any other food item that requires cutting. Sort of poke around with that tip. The weight of the food on your fork or spoon can help indicate the size of your portion. When scooping with a fork, 
press the tines down into and under your food. You will feel sort of a dragging sensation if the food item, like a piece of meat, is not fully cut and severed from the main piece. Next we have some tips for cutting meat. Make sure the cutting edge of your knife blade is facing downward before you cut or slice. We mentioned this before. You can identify the cutting edge of the knife blade without touching it. The cutting edge is usually curved, so you can try rocking the knife blade forward and backward on the tabletop to determine which is the cutting edge. And then here's another idea for that. If you place the non-cutting edge against the tabletop, the knife will be flush against the surface and will not rock. You can try turning your plate so that your meat is at the 6 o'clock position. If you're not reaching over other foods, it can sometimes make cutting easier. To cut meat, such as a pork or a lamb chop, locate one edge of the meat with your knife and keep your knife there. Put your fork into the chop about a half inch from the edge and, starting at the edge, cut a small semicircle around your fork. Keep your knife at the edge of the meat. With very little practice, this will become automatic. When placing your order at a restaurant, here's a good one, ask to have your meat cut before it's brought to the table. Now some tips about using salt and pepper. Here are some techniques to help. Number one, salt weighs more than the equivalent amount of pepper. The salt shaker usually has larger perforations. Salt has a different sound when shaken because the textures of salt and pepper are different. Salt sounds looser and more granular than pepper. Use different shaped shakers for each or place a rubber band around one. To control the flow of salt, shake some into the palm of your hand and you can explore the amount with your pinky finger. Next, some tips about pouring hot and cold liquids. Electronic liquid level indicators that we mentioned earlier in the program can help you pour hot and cold liquids by making a persistent noise and or vibrating when the liquid in a glass or cup is a certain distance from the top rim. To reduce spilling, place the lip of the container you are pouring from against the rim of the container you are pouring into. Pour slowly at first and gradually increase your speed as your skills improve with practice. Here's a good one. You can become aware of the temperature change on the side of a glass or a cup as the liquid rises in the glass or the cup. They're suggesting that you practice with a variety of containers and never hold the cup or glass in the air while you're pouring. Instead, place the cup or the glass on a level surface. This helps to avoid spills and burns. If you have low vision, use color contrast to make liquids more visible. Use a light-colored mug for your dark-colored coffee, or use a darker glass or cup for your milk. And here's the best idea of all for pouring hot and cold liquids. When entertaining friends or family, ask each person to pour his or her own beverage. If you would like additional instruction on eating and cooking skills, you can always contact a vision rehabilitation therapist for additional instruction. So to summarize today's program, I hope you have picked up on at least one new good idea that will keep you safe in your kitchen while you are peeling, chopping, simmering, and serving. I think right now I should say bon appetit. 
And to end the program, I have a quote for you to think about. Of course, it's from Julia Child, who said, This is my advice to people. Learn how to cook, try new recipes, learn from your mistakes, be fearless, and above all, have fun. Julia McWilliams Child was born August 15, 1912, in Pasadena, California. She died in 2004. She was an American cooking teacher, author, and television personality. She was best known for bringing French cooking to the American people with her cookbook, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Now, you probably remember that she was tall, six foot two inches tall to be exact. Julia Child, an American legend. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week.